millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the struggle for food and other resources in uh, Stalin's Russia during uh, the 1930s. Now, my go-to guide on this, as ever, is Sheila Fitzpatrick's brilliant book, Everyday Stalinism. And it's a book I I can't recommend highly enough to anyone studying uh, the Soviet Union during uh, the 1930s. Um, and her the companion uh, book to this is Stalin's Peasants, uh, which uh, tells the other part of uh, the story mainly in, in rural Russia. Now, <clears throat> she discusses um, shopping as a survival skill um, in uh, the, the, the second chapter of the book, which focuses mainly uh, on um, the shortages in terms of food and housing Uh, that existed during that period. And Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, With the outlawing of private enterprise at the end of the 1920s, the state became the main and often the only legal distributor of goods. All large social goods like housing, medical care, higher education and vacations were distributed by state agencies. The citizen obtained them by making an application to a relevant bureaucracy. The bureaucracy would weigh the claims according to various criteria, including the citizens' social class. Proletarians had the highest priority, disenfranchised class aliens the lowest. Almost always, there were long waiting lists because the relevant goods were in short supply. After the citizen's name came to the top of the list, he or she was supposed to be allocated an apartment of the appropriate size or assigned a vacation place. Apartments and resort places did not come free, but charges were low. For most of these large social goods, no legal private market existed. So the removal of market mechanisms led to the uh, introduction of bureaucratisation 
into nearly every aspect of life. The kinds of um, calculations as to uh, how resources would be allocated, which had previously uh, been left to markets, were now um, forced to adhere to uh, bureaucracy. And bureaucracy was essentially inserted into places that it can't naturally go, uh, just as um, one critique of neoliberalism now has markets being inserted into places that they tend not to be able to um, adequately function, and ironically leading to a kind of an excess of bureaucracy again. But, of course, the reason for the elimination of uh, markets in uh, what would previously have been privately traded goods uh, was purely ideological, and it was a way of reordering society so that um, favoured classes, such as workers, now gained uh, the lion's share of resources, and uh, former people, um, the uh, enemy classes, um, would receive um, the, the the lowest. Market traded commodities such as food and clothing um, had a, a variety of sources. The state um, and state owned uh, stores and um, uh, other outlets um, were places that food were sold. Yes, however. Peasants were also able to sell their own produce in the Kolkhoz markets. Um, However, this really gives the illusion of competition. Um, The uh, state-owned stores were never really uh, in any kind of meaningful competition with the peasants because they weren't motivated by any kind of profit motive, they weren't exposed to any kinds of market forces, therefore they're not um, under any um, pressure to produce different or more preferable goods at more competitive prices. Markets were replaced with bureaucratism um, in uh, an immense hurry. Um, They were not replaced with any uh, prior thought. Um, There had been little planning and this was during a period of immense social crisis in uh, the Soviet Union. Um, And so, as a result, it's hardly surprising that central planning in Russia failed. Centralised planning of the distribution of uh, food, uh, clothing, housing and other resources uh, didn't lead to the kinds of disasters that happened as a result of collectivisation, i.e. the deaths of millions. And indeed, starvation doesn't happen in Soviet cities, but immense hardship does. And there's always a fundamental difference between hunger and starvation. Um, But for those who lived through the late 1920s and early 1930s, it was a a time of shortages, of hunger um, and of struggle to, to really survive. Um, There had been a few periods like it since the actual civil war itself. So what Stalin created was uh, an ideologically inspired uh, economic crisis in Russia uh, in the bids to um, reorder Russian society, to um, essentially proletarianise Russian society, which would have a a knock-on impact on the power and the popularity of the party. 
The distribution of consumer goods has um, a brief turnaround in the mid-1930s and there's a brief turnaround during the late 1950s, early 1960s, during the, the, the Khrushchev era. Um, there is an excellent book out there, uh, Red Plenty, which is a kind of semi-fictionalised account of life under Khrushchev. Um, well worth a read. It has um, excellent plaudits from uh, academic circles um, that I, I, I've discussed it with. I'll have to research the author. Um, Spufford, Francis Spufford, I think is the, the chap's name. Have a check it out. Um, anyway... But for the rest of the um, period of the Soviet Union, with these two notable exceptions, the mid-30s and the uh, early, uh, late 50s, early 60s, the provision of material resources is never, never fully, fully uh, resolved or uh, succeeded in any successful way. Um, and this uh, arguably has a, a huge impact on the eventual uh, downfall uh, of Soviet communism. There seems to have been little thought about what a socialist economy should look like and how a socialist economy uh, should function. The uh, normal refrain about um, socialism is that it's a nice idea in uh, principle but a lousy one in practice. Uh, seems to have been, um, whether it's true or not, uh, unfortunately proven here uh, by um, Stalin's uh, poor economic, um, uh, poorly thought out e economic ideas. The removal of um, private um, purchase and resale of goods, as the kind of the evil of, of speculation, was not replaced by any prior um, thought through economic model. Um, for example, um, the, commun the, the, the communists didn't really have any idea that what they were proposing might lead to, to scarcity, that there might not be price signals running through the system giving information to producers as to what to produce and at what, in what volumes. Um, there was uh, no understanding that the creation of um, a state monopoly to distribute goods would confer on the bureaucracy um, an allocative function and um, a, a, a function of distributing resources and allocating resources um, that would eventually mean that there would be uh, powerful implications um, for the relationship between state and society uh, as well as so for um, uh, social um, advancement i.e. if you want to get your hands on some resources then you have to become a party member um, or if you uh, don't like the resources you're being allocated then it is not the fault of a private business it is the fault of a public bureaucracy and the party. What the Soviet leadership believed was that distribution was really a secondary issue and that it was in an economy, it was production that mattered. Um, this was their particular reading of Marxist economics. The uh, apathy that the Stalinists had for trade uh, as a means of distribution meant that instead rationing had to be the way in which goods were allocated. 
The other method could be described as closed distribution. Closed distribution system is uh, a system whereby goods are allocated through shops that are contained within party uh, buildings, within party uh, headquarters, uh, within certain uh, industries, certain factories and workplaces. Uh, And it meant that if you worked in a favoured factory or workplace or government bureaucracy, then you could have access to the store. And if you didn't, then you were shut out of that branch of consuming. And this became um, a a glaring inequality within the Soviet system, one of the many. Um, And it meant that um, it became a permanent feature of the allocation of resources within the USSR. And it very quickly creates a new state-led class system in uh, in Russia. Uh, elite classes are those with access to uh, consumer goods, attractive places to live, automobiles and other luxuries. These options are rationing and the, the closed system uh, of distribution um, were the strategies that were there as a result of economic crisis. They were not necessarily ideological choices. Uh, a Soviet ideologue would no doubt have uh, wanted neither to have existed and um, abundance for, for all. However, the realities were that these were not obtainable under the Soviet system. There were few enthusiasts for rationing as it represented a failure by the state and an admittance of Soviet poverty. Um, There were the odd uh, extremists and um, radicals who had believed that the rationing of the war communism era represented most directly what Soviet communism should be. However, they were very much at the fringes of economic things. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Rationing was abolished in 1935 and Stalin presented this as a a major step forward uh, towards socialism and the achieving of the good life uh, under socialism uh, evidence that communism was ultimately obtainable, though as a result of the Second World War, rationing is again introduced from 1941 to 47. So from 29 to 35, from 41 to 47, uh, constitutes about 50% of the Stalin era where ration cards were necessary. And even during the periods of time where rationing was supposedly abolished, local authorities and local parties across Russia periodically reintroduced it in the late 1930s when there were shortages, as there frequently were. Rationing began in 1928-29 in cities such as uh, Odessa as the struggle between Stalin and the uh, the kulaks, the, the peasantry, intensified um, as it became harder and harder to extract surplus food from the countryside. Uh, and the use of rationing was in, in some ways a political tool in order to harden feelings towards the Russian peasants to present them as greedy hoarders causing suffering to hard-working proletarians who are the, the real source of um, the support for the revolution. It should be remembered that, in fact, there was an abundance of grain uh, during the, the period of collectivization, the late 20s to the early 1930s, because it was being exported. So at the time when there was hunger in the cities and starvation in the countryside, Stalin was exporting grain uh, out of Russia in order to buy equipment to industrialise Russia with. Those who were on the lowest rung of society, the uh, former bourgeoisie, uh, people who had once been in the priesthood, those who had been in uh, very unfashionable professions like uh, being netmen and traders or perhaps those who had owned taverns and beer halls. These were the people who were normally ineligible for a ration book at all. This affirmative action was known as proletarian preference, so it meant that the working classes had access to resources first. However, there's a fundamental problem with all of this, and that was the uh, the closed distribution system. So it meant that uh, proletarians could be given ration books and plenty of them, but whether they had access to the stores which sold the goods and services that they actually wanted um, or that were desirable was a different matter altogether. Perhaps instead of seeing it as proletarian preference, you could see it as party preference, and it was party members that generally tended to benefit the most. During the period of the first five-year plan, there is a dramatic expansion in state-run cafeterias, um, often referred to as enterprise cafeterias. Um, There were 30,000 of these 
during the first uh, five-year plan. Uh, by July 1933, two-thirds of the population of Moscow and 58% of the population of Leningrad were fed by them. This was meant to protect the working population from the uh, worst effects of shortages um, and it was meant to link food to employment or food to work and this is one of the most fundamental aspects I believe of uh, Soviet communism because what work meant uh, in the Soviet system was the the building up of socialism itself to reach a point of technological advancement where communism is achieved. So the whole point about the Soviet era was it was meant to be a time of work and struggle, that socialism was not in theory meant to be particularly easy because it was going to be uh, the creation of the utopia of communism uh, would be uh, the, the, the easy, nice, pleasurable bit where a, a, f- a fully automated society, in theory, would uh, in- exist in order to provide um, the levels of material goods. So by attaching, by associating food and work, um, the uh, Soviet system created some of the kind of the uh, the brutalities of the, the more Dickensian aspects of the capitalist world. If you don't work, you, you don't eat. Um, and it was a very conditional welfare system that was designed to motivate work. And there is a mirror between this kind of um, association between food and labour and the imprisoned variety in the gulag system. Even when the closed distribution system was officially abolished, it was clear uh, that this had not died out. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, Closed distribution was officially abolished in 1935. Six months later, however, inspectors at the Ministry of Internal Trade noticed that some shops were reserving goods for special groups of buyers, creating various forms of closed provisioning. So what this meant is that uh, influence and blat, which is this uh, term, uh, Soviet term for kind of uh, networking and um, clientism and favoritism, was still at work within the, the Soviet system. And after 1935, an unofficial uh, version of the closed uh, system emerged. Uh, as opposed to the um, the official version. And even though it was forbidden, the practice continues because local elites across Russia uh, want it uh, to continue. Um, for example, uh, in Alma-Ata, um, there were long shortages, long bread lines, um, which uh, emerged in provincial towns in, in about 1939. The authorities there established closed stores, um, which only individuals who were on the list were admitted. And enterprises and factories all over Russia had their own closed cafeterias and restaurants and snack bars. So what was happening here is that under the pressure of shortages, which were created by the Soviet system and by um, Russia's economic hardships in general uh, and uh, decades of um, crisis since the, the First World War, 
um, the Soviet system was actually destroying uh, any notion of socialism or solidarity by creating uh, closed shops and closed restaurants and cafeterias, guaranteeing an enhanced quality of life for a select few and hardship for the majority. And this was the only way in which the party could maintain its uh, preferential treatment of its own uh, in the face of hardship and shortages. It was how, basically, Soviet communism adapted to the realities of economic shortage. State-owned uh, department stores and cooperatives had low prices, they had long queues, but they had, crucially, they had shortages. Uh, there were the options to go to uh, coal cars markets and the state-run toxin shops. These were the commercial stores uh, but these were only um, possibilities if you had the money. So the uh, unauthorised and illegal but, sanction but party-sanctioned um, stores and cafeterias, which were reserved for a select few, were places that were guaranteed to offer low prices and actually have the foodstuffs and the goods on the shelves that were actually uh, actually demanded. So the only way in which uh, the distribution that uh, uh, previously a market system uh, would have uh, operated worked was through gerrymandering the rules of the um, bureaucratic state-led system in order to create um, a kind of paradoxical black market which existed within plain sight, which but the party which the party officially sanctioned and banned, but unofficially actually approved of and gave a nod to. Such are the, the absurdities of totalitarian societies. And between the markets, the Torxin shops, um, the coal causes, uh, and the uh, closed distribution system there were black marketeers coming backwards and forth, ensuring that those without, who were willing to pay uh, a high price, got the resources uh, that, they, that they needed within reason, of course. Um, and all of this exists uh, alongside uh, a state system that uh, enforces um, the ban on the operation of markets as uh, fairly ineffectively, uh, but periodically with immense brutality and draconian prison sentences. Uh, and it shows you that ultimately markets seem to be these naturally occurring phenomena that um, are almost the kind of the function of human thought. Anyway, um, I'll finish there, but if you found that useful and uh, you'd like to help support the Explaining History podcast, do check out our Patreon page. I'll put a link below um, in the, the blurb bit of the podcast. And um, you can join our Explaining History community on our uh, Facebook group. Um, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.